For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about realignment in college football and the start of the 2021 Syracuse football season. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is ESPN's Andrea Adelson. Andrea, always a pleasure to have you on the program. It's your ninth year as a guest on the show, if you can believe it. You've been on the program so long that Syracuse was actually still a member of the Big East when you first joined. <laughs> wow, what a way to make a girl feel old, Wes. Gee whiz. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but uh, we'll get you started on this one. Andrea, we are in realignment 3.0, and not all the dominoes have fallen yet. Do you think the Big 12 survives, or are we heading into the Power 4 era? It's such a great question. Of course, I was just kidding with you. I honestly started to feel old as I was reliving what happened to the Big East. We wrote this huge story about the fall of the Big East as a football-playing conference the week that Texas and Oklahoma decided they were going to leave the Big 12 for the SEC, and I would love to say that we knew it was coming and it was perfect timing, but it was all coincidental. And in the reporting uh, on my story about the Big East, there was one thing that was clear, actually two things. Number one, the Big 12 as a conference was only going to survive as long as it had Texas and Oklahoma in the fold, and you and the listeners out there will recall that at one point there was rampant speculation that Texas and Oklahoma were going to go to the Pac-12. 
leaving the Big 12 in jeopardy, and there were conversations about forming a partnership between the Big East and the Big 12 at that time because the Big East had lost a couple of schools, and both of them were looking to try and secure their futures. And when Texas and Oklahoma decided that they were going to stay in the Big 12, then Big East Commissioner John Marinato sent a bottle of champagne to their commissioner to celebrate that their league was able to stay intact. But I don't think anyone believed that it was going to be a long-term solution because of the general unhappiness that Texas had with the Big 12. And so now that their grant of rights were coming up uh, with the Big 12, I don't think it was necessarily a shock to people that we were going to see movement once again in the collegiate landscape because if there's one certainty uh, about the collegiate landscape, it's that it's always changing, it's always shifting. If you look at SEC membership in their first year as a conference, it looks radically different than what it looks like right now. So the first thing was the Big 12 probably wasn't going to survive long term. The second thing was essentially that we were going to have some shifts. We were going to have some changes. That's what history tells us. I think the bigger surprise is that they went on to the SEC, which is already considered the most powerful conference uh, in the country and was only going to enhance that power. And so now you've got the Big 12 trying to figure out, can they survive as a conference? What do they do moving forward? Every other conference out there is looking at themselves, their long-term future, and programs are looking at themselves in the long-term future to figure out what's going on. How is it going to play out? Is the Big 12 going to survive? I would say of all the conferences, they're probably in the most precarious spot at this point. And I do think eventually they will be some sort of consolidation of the conferences. So we're, we're left with four 16-team super conferences or, you know, some sort of league that's a mini NFL that breaks off from the NCAA. There's a host of scenarios we could sit here and speculate about. Uh, but in terms of power five structure, um, I do think that we are moving away from that. Uh, this is a whole new era in collegiate sports. Uh, and we are going to see something that looks much different in a decade from now than what it looks like today. We keep going through alignment, but here's a question for you. Do you think it's good for college football, and do you think it's good for college athletics in general? College athletics and college football has always survived uh, the different changes. And you could make an argument that, college athletics have never been more popular than they are right now in terms of money, uh, finances, um, attractiveness, um, people who are tuning in to watch collegiate sports across the board. Uh, we've seen high ratings for women's basketball, women's softball, um, and other sports beyond just football. So, in one sense, you could say, well, the sport's never been healthier because there's more money coming into collegiate athletics than ever before. But on the other hand, there has been a lot of hand-wringing about where we are specifically with football because now it feels as if in order to compete for championships, you have to be a part of this very elite group that has – not only the money and the facilities, but the exposure to be able to recruit to get it done. And that's why we've seen this push now for a 12-team playoff, because they want to expand it out. 
college football feels more regionalized than ever. And in talking to coaches across the country from different conferences, a lot of them have different opinions, but ultimately they care about college football and making it uh, a sport that people want to continue to watch. And over the last few years with the same teams um, playing in the playoff and winning national championships, um, there has been waning interest in the sport in terms of we could just going to close it off to one segment of the country and not include the rest of it. When you look at the Pac-12 struggles um, and some other conferences that haven't really been able to break through. So, you know, I do have some fears about what this is all going to look like, if it's just going to be a group of the richest programs out there that are ultimately going to have an opportunity to compete for championships the way that it's gone up until this point and whether or not that's good for the overall health and survival of the sport. But at the same time, football has been very adaptable and we've seen wholesale changes across the entire sport over the last 150 plus years. Uh, And that was well documented when we did our history of, of college football for the 150 year anniversary. So I do think football is going to survive. People are going to keep watching. People are going to can keep going to games. It's just a matter of what is it going to look like? And are there going to be segments of conferences and or the population that are going to get left out even more than they are right now? Andrew, we're a Syracuse podcast. Syracuse is in the ACC. Is there a scenario in the immediate horizon where the ACC could fall victim to poaching like the Big 12 just did? Not in the immediate horizon. And the reason I say that is because the ACC has a grant of rights. And grant of rights means that all the schools have agreed that the conference holds their television rights. That goes through 2036. So essentially, if a school wanted to leave right now, they would have to challenge the legality of the grant of rights. And even if they won that and decided, hey, yeah, let's go to court and win this, um, it's going to cost upwards in the hundreds of millions of dollars to get out of the conference right now because the grant of rights goes so long. The ACC, of course, would fight that to the very end, uh, because they don't want to lose anybody. They want to keep everybody together. Uh, and if the ACC didn't budge and a school decided, okay, well, we'll just pay whatever fees we have to pay, uh, they wouldn't be able to be on TV uh, for 15 years, because that's essentially what the grant of rights means. We have the television rights for you. So that's the one thing right now that's holding everybody together in the ACC, because is too large a sum of money, even if the SEC or the Big Ten come calling, and those are conferences, obviously, that make more off their television deals right now than the ACC does. It's just not worth it to take that financial risk to leave at this point. Now, does that mean everyone's going to stay together and hold their hands? I think both of us have been long, have been around this sport long enough to say uh, expect change, uh, even when it's unexpected. So, I will never rule anything out, uh, especially after having covered the Big East situation uh, 10 years ago. Uh, Never say never, but right now, and talking to multiple people 
inside the conference at programs in the ACC. The goal is to work together to strengthen the ACC. That's the only play right now. And, of course, people then ask, well, what strengthens the ACC? And number one on that list is Notre Dame. Notre Dame is not budging right now. There's no reason for Notre Dame at this point to join a conference. So whether that means the ACC has to be more aggressive, maybe uh, start reconsidering how they distribute some revenue to make it more attractive for Notre Dame to join a conference, they're not going to just stop this play for Notre Dame. They're going to continue on forward with that. But there have to be other um, things that this league is looking at in order to really try and enhance and improve the overall product before they slip further and further behind, mostly the SEC, because that's their their closest geographic rival. And when you look at the most prominent programs football-wise in the ACC, those are programs that have rivals in the SEC. Uh, and so, of course, we've seen rumor and speculation about the SEC going to come after these schools to join this mini NFL. Nobody knows whether that's going to happen. But in the immediate future, I think the ACC is all trying to move forward together to see what they can do to enhance the overall product. And if they were to make any additions, it would have to be something that improves the overall financial bottom line for the conference. Andrea, sorry to hijack the conversation with realignment talk. Let's talk 2021 college football. The ACC is once again led by Clemson. Is there any team like a North Carolina or Miami that could potentially dethrone them? It's a great question. I'm not ready to say yes at this point because I still think that both of those programs are unproven in terms of the consistency that it takes to dethrone a team like Clemson. I think North Carolina might be closer than Miami. We saw Miami play Clemson last year, and they were not close. Uh, And I don't know that they're any closer this year, especially after losing a couple uh, of first-round draft picks and and some key playmakers off of their defense from a year ago. North Carolina, to me, is the most intriguing one uh, because so many of us are talking about North Carolina. That's the preseason favorite to win the Coastal. I chose them to win the Coastal division. And when you have a quarterback like Sam Howell returning uh, and a lot of players on their defense returning, it's easy to like what you see on North Carolina. Uh, But there are major questions about this team that I think people have glossed over in their race to say, okay, this could be the next team that has a shot at Clemson. Number one, they have to replace all of their prominent skilled players around Sam Howell. Uh, And North Carolina feels confident that they have the players to do that. But these are all unproven guys who haven't had the types of opportunities that uh, the ones that they lost have had. So that's number one. And I think number two I mentioned the consistency. Now, North Carolina is a team that has the capability of winning big games, but also over the last few years, they've lost some bad games. You know, they went on the road. They lost to Florida State last year, a team that they should have beaten. They lost to Virginia, um, and those were unacceptable losses to that team as they were ranked pretty high in the preseason a year ago and had all sorts of expectations around them. But now that it's year three under Mac Brown, I think even he's expecting this program and this team to take the next step and to rise up and to be one of those programs that has a chance to beat Clemson. I will say this about Clemson. I don't necessarily know that 
this Clemson team is as strong as some of the Clemson teams that we have seen in the past. I think there are also questions about Clemson that we have that maybe we haven't had recently, uh, especially off of the performance against Ohio State in the playoff. Maybe some more questions about the linebackers, the secondary, uh, the receiving group, especially with um, Justin Ross potentially coming back off of a neck injury, uh, unproven at, at running back, even though they've got some guys who've had some playing time, their offensive line needs to step up. So to me, it's all about where is Clemson going to be? Are they going to be slightly behind where they were over the last couple of years? And if that's the case, is there anybody out there who can take advantage of that? And for me, the next closest team would be North Carolina. But how close are they? And that's ultimately the question that uh, we all want to have an answer to. And Andrew, we'll get you out of here on this one. It's death taxes and me asking you in our preseason podcast about Syracuse football and getting a prediction from you. They're coming off a 1-10 season. How do you see them doing this year? And do you think Dino Bapers is on the hot seat if he doesn't get to a bowl game? Great question. Uh, I had a chance to have a long conversation with Dino uh, this offseason about last year. And I don't necessarily know that the public has a good enough understanding of the challenges presented specifically to Syracuse a year ago in dealing with COVID. And everybody had challenges. I'm not trying to um, make excuses or sugarcoat last season. Uh, But Syracuse had challenges that affected the way they traveled to games. They weren't allowed to be outside the state of New York for 24 hours. So that affected when they got on the road, how quickly they'd have to come home. Uh, There were a lot of questions we all saw in the preseason from players about COVID and how they were expected to play with the protocols and maybe not trusting uh, some of what was happening, especially early on in camp. And I think a lot of that led to what we saw transpire on the field. Not only that, um, there were a lot of young players playing for Syracuse a year ago, players at the end of the season that Dino Babers would have never never otherwise played because of injuries and other exceptional circumstances. And yet this is a team that made it throughout the entire season um, without having to lose a game and was very good about COVID and following the protocol. So in talking to Dino, he feels very confident that this is going to be a completely different year because of not only what he has learned, uh, but because of what his players learned going through that. Uh, and I expect Syracuse to be better. I, I know that they were picked to finish last. I know the schedule is extremely difficult. I'm not sure whether this team right now can make a bowl game. And I know I usually you ask whether they're going to be a bowl team or not. I'm still on the fence about that. Uh, but if they don't make a bowl, I do think that Dino is on the hot seat because of what's happened the last couple of years. If he was on the hot seat a year ago, uh, then he certainly would be now uh, if they if they don't make a bowl. And I think he is just, because of the use of this team and because of where they were a year ago, he feels that they can make progress this year that gets them to a point in 22 uh, where they will be in a great spot in the Atlantic. Um, but people don't want to have the patience for that. And he doesn't know whether the administration is going to have the patience for that. So for me, it's all about where's the progress going to be, maybe not what the final win-loss record is, 
Um, where's the progress going to be, and is that going to be enough for the administration to have the faith in him to give him another year to get things straightened out? I do think a bowl is imperative, but if this is a team that doesn't make a bowl but has a lot of close losses and puts up a good fight in every one of their games, I don't know. Uh, and so we can sit here and speculate about what his future is going to look like, what Syracuse's future is going to look like. Um, the bottom line is I think he's got to win, obviously, more than what we've seen uh, the last couple of seasons. We've got to get back to what we saw uh, in 18, uh, and whether they can do that or not this year, I- I'm just not sure. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the program. One of our longstanding and favorite guests on the program, ESPN's Andrea Adelson. Andrew, we always appreciate your time, your insight into college football, and your analysis of everything that's been going on in college athletics. Enjoy the college football season, and we'll speak with you soon. As always, thanks for having me again. I always enjoy speaking with Andrea, who's one of my favorite college football writers, and I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, I was just talking college football realignment with Andrea. I'll continue the same theme with you. Oklahoma and Texas are heading to the SEC. The rest of the conferences are left to try to keep up with them. What are your thoughts on college football realignment 3.0? My thoughts, Wes, center around conference entities and then the other important player in all of this, and that's ESPN when it comes to the ACC the main television partner and the rights holder, because behind the scenes, so much is going on to dictate what the future of Power 5 college football is going to look like. And you know, I wrote a couple of weeks ago, Jim Phillips, the new ACC commissioner, he really has his work cut out for him when it comes to ACC football, because this is the front-facing sport for all of the major conferences. And we all know about the heritage and tradition and how great ACC basketball's been, Tobacco Road and all of that. But it really comes down to football's driving the bus here. And that's what Jim Phillips is going to have to really concentrate, you know, just a couple of months now into the position and what he's got to look for for the rest of this decade. It's football first. And he has to make sure that ACC football is as strong as it can be. And I really think that centers around How do you make it as attractive as it can be for television partner ESPN to try to maximize the revenue from televising football games? And I wrote that it's really important that that they really buckle down and see what they have to do to get Notre Dame into the ACC as a full-time conference member. Uh, There's a lot goes into play there, of course, because Notre Dame has its own television agreement with NBC for home games. And they're going to have to, you know, work in depth to figure this out because Oklahoma and Texas, those big name schools going to the SEC, the ACC needs a jolt of a major school. And really the only big name left is Notre Dame. Folks have been talking about could Penn State switch from the Big Ten to the ACC. I personally don't think that's something that's going to happen because for the same reason as ACC wants Notre Dame, the Big Ten needs to keep a team like Penn State in its conference. And to me, the Big 12 is simply just its vulnerable now, obviously, with the departure of Texas and Oklahoma. And I, I can see that those schools would have to find new homes one day. I wrote about the bulk of the Big 12 going to the Pac-12, uh, 
And as far as West Virginia goes, moving them into the ACC, I, I think West Virginia is an attractive program. I know others may disagree with me, but it fits geographically with the ACC. They have a long tradition of great football, and the basketball with Bob Huggins and playing at Mountaineer Coliseum with that home court advantage, to me, that has all the makings of an ACC basketball program. So I, I think the number is 16, and, and I think it's, you know, four major conferences with 16, and that's the way it's going to go. And Syracuse is in a good spot by being in the ACC. The ACC has to make sure that it's not going to lose any members, as has been rumored as speculation about a Clemson and a Florida State. ACC has to not only, you know, be at status quo, but has to build on that, just like the SEC has done, to keep up with the, the mega television revenue that both the SEC and the Big Ten have been taking in for its member institutions. Brad, let's get to the Syracuse football season now. They start camp on Saturday as Dino Bapers heads into year six. What should we be looking out for? Well, first of all, Wes, to me, it's filled with excitement. Football's back, and practice is starting on Saturday, and that's a really good thing uh, for Syracuse Orange fans because, you know, it's it's been a while. We went through the 2020 pandemic-affected season, and now we're back to somewhat of a sense of normalcy with a 12-game schedule, starting off with the four non-ACC games to begin and then diving right into uh, eight conference games. And, of course, it centers around the excitement of who's going to be the starting quarterback September 4th at Ohio University. I really think that's going to be the whole story through this preseason camp in August. Uh, Dino Babers, as he's known, is not going to let anything out, everything. He's going to be coy, playing everything uh, close to the vest, as we've discussed all summer. But it's going to be really interesting to see how that battle plays out. I think the offensive line coming back with so many options there is such good news. The running backs, uh, a lot of depth there. Like to see a little bit more at the wide receiver spot. Hopefully one of the younger players or two of the younger players is really going to emerge and step in with the veterans. I really like to see the tight end play solidified and the tight end really put more into the Syracuse offense this year. On the other side of the ball, veteran defensive line, and you have to be excited about all the players that are coming back there. The linebacking core, another year under their belt, great young raw talent that's really uh, had a good spring and shaping up to be an important unit going into this season. And the same with the defensive backs. So much talent there at the starting uh, unit that it's really exciting to, to, to see the, the, the uh, expectations and the capabilities of those players. Then you have a, a freshman punter that, you know, I think is really going to contribute in James Williams. And we all know about uh, Andre Schmidt and, and the place kicking duties. So really excited. I mean, when you look at the top 22 players, the top special teams performers, I think certainly the best in D. Baber's sixth season. So for me, Wes, as preseason camp gets underway, the word is E for excitement. And Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. As exciting as it, we're expecting to see the players on the field, that first home game, September 11th against Rutgers in the Dome, a lot of anticipation for me for that game as well, Wes, because we know that the university has instituted a mask mandate for crowds at, in, indoors on campus. So 
that's certainly something that is going to be in place uh, for this football season. But also, uh, the dome's just going to look beautiful, and the fans are really going to like what they've been, what they're going to see. Uh, work is going to continue right up until that first home football game. A lot of painting, a lot of cosmetic changes that are really going to make the building look awesome. And another major change is to the uh, how fans and the comfort uh, of everything from concessions to the restrooms. They've really made a big effort to improve all of the concession stands to make the flow of traffic that much easier. Order what you'd like to eat and drink, move down, pay for it, boom, be gone. So really impressed with the new system that they've uh, installed in place, how everything's going to be in the dome for the traffic. You know, there have been a lot of complaints in the building's history of how tight the confines are, but they've really made an effort to do something about that. And just the plain beauty, the look of the building is going to be something to behold for fans for the opening game on September 11th. Brad, my closing thoughts are on Syracuse basketball and Bayheim's Army bringing home the TBT championship, a 69-67 win over Team 23 on Tuesday as Kiefer Sykes hit the game-winning three at the Elam ending. It's been a long time coming for the Syracuse alumni team. I just want to wish the entire team a huge congratulations. That includes guys that have been on this very podcast like Kevin Belby, CJ Fair, and the ageless Eric Devendorf. As Eric said after the game, this is the best university in the world, Syracuse. I couldn't agree more, Eric. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that I want to see a snake eat spaghetti. That would be perfect. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. This is the summer to expand your horizons. You've had enough staying home. You've had enough confinement. It's time to explore. But before you set foot out the door, set foot in the ultimate travel shoes from Allbirds, like the breathable, silky smooth tree runner, the responsive foam and extra grip of the tree dasher, or the classic low top look of the tree piper. Allbirds has a shoe ready for whatever adventures you have planned. Whether you're traveling to the ends of the earth or settling in for a staycation, you need a shoe that's versatile enough to go with any outfit, durable enough to wear over any terrain and lightweight enough to make packing a breeze. Being made from insanely comfortable, breezy eucalyptus fiber is a plus, too. When you wear Allbirds tree shoes, you're in vacation mode before you even leave the house. They're the only shoes your suitcase needs. Boarding pass? Check. Passport? Check. The perfect travel shoe? Check. Find your perfect pair of tree dashers, runners, pipers, and more at Allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com.